You're listening to the DMZ Movers and Shakers podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs by the world-leading tech incubator, the DMZ. In this podcast, each episode brings in the movers and shakers of the world to cover leadership mentality, tips for business owners, and much, much more. So without further ado, let's get into it. So we are live. Welcome, everybody, and good afternoon. Pleasure to be here, and I thank you all for joining us. My name is Abdullah Snowbar. I'm the executive director for the DMZ and the CEO of DMZ Ventures. So the DMZ is an incubator and accelerator, and in more simple terms, we help tech startups grow their businesses, providing high-impact, high-intensity, and highly-customized programs for founders uh, to be able to validate uh, and build and scale their startups and doing it fast. So thank you all for joining us with Canada's very own Arlene Dickinson. And I know last time we did this, we did it in a physical space where I think we all miss what that feels like now, but again, very excited to have you with us. So Arlene is a general partner of the District Ventures Capital, a venture capital fund focused on helping market, fund, and grow entrepreneurs and their companies in the food and health space. A three-time best-selling author, Arlene is a marketing hall of legends inductee and a proud recipient of the Queen Elizabeth Diamond Jubilee Award. Arlene has also received for many years as an honorary captain in the Royal Canadian Navy. We're going to kick things off with some rapid fire questions with a fun game called This or That. Starting off, Dragons or sharks? Oh, dragons all the way. I mean, dragons fly, they breathe fire, they live on land and water. What do sharks do? <laughs> Call or text? Uh, it depends. I mostly like to text. Gas stove or electric stove? Uh, gas stove, unless I'm near an open fire, but <laughs> definitely gas. Sweet or savory? Sweet. Awesome. Me too. Morning or night? Morning. Tacos or burgers? Tacos or burgers? Oh, that's a tough one. Tacos. 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 We're close to Taco Tuesday today, tomorrow. I love tacos. <laughs> Shop in store or are you online? I have been shopping a lot online simply because we've had to, but I really like shopping in store, especially now because I like to support the small businesses and the small business owners. So, and I like that experience. They have overhead, they have staff that they need to pay. So I'm going in store as much as I can now. Awesome. Uh, French fries or salad? That is not even a question. That is definitely <laughs> French fries. <laughs> it's not even close. All right, Arlene, here's the hardest question of all, and I'm going to ask that we really think this one through. Okay. Calgary or Toronto? Uh, no, I refuse. Like I'm pleading the fifth on that. It's <laughs> impossible. I love Calgary and I love Toronto. I am like truly sorry. I'm a sorry Canadian because I can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Hopefully that gives the audience a bit of intel about your passions and what you love to do. We'll get right into it. And uh, let me start off by uh, kind of relating it to something that we're all very familiar with. The COVID-19 pandemic has come with a lot of unforeseen circumstances. And I think we've seen a lot of unfortunate realities in regards to millions of people being laid off their jobs. There's a lot of people who are considering getting a new job or new career paths and even starting up their own businesses. From your perspective, what advice can you give someone that's looking to reinvent themselves and begin something new, but doesn't know where or how to start. It's funny, I, I think about what's going on right now. And there's so much uncertainty that's happening, right? And there's a lot of fear that goes along with that uncertainty. But really, we're at a time and place where we have been given the gift of time, there is time now that we haven't had for a long time. And that time is something that can be put to good use in terms of starting your own business. Entrepreneurs look at uncertainty as opportunity. So if you're thinking about uncertainty, you're, you're seeing what the opportunity is all around you. And you're thinking about how to go ahead and start a business. 
when I think about reinvention and in the book I wrote on reinvention, I talk about things you can do to try and get yourself down that path. There's four real key steps I talk about. They're all C's. The first step is counterintuitive. Most people think about reinvention as I want to move forward and I want to do something different. But in order to reinvent yourself, you have to actually look backwards. And people don't always want to look. We don't like looking at our past. We don't like looking at all the mistakes we've made and thinking about what led us to where we are. So, you know, look backwards in order to be able to go forward. That's number one. Number two is currency. Think about what it is you're good at. Like we're all good at something. I mean, we've all been given a talent in something. And if we can just think about the things that we do well and we excel at, that's our currency. That's the thing that we can then use to leverage ourselves into entrepreneurialism. And that's the strength that you bring to the table. And then the third C is core purpose. You know, I hear a lot from people, they talk about, oh, you have to find your passion. I actually think you have to find your core purpose, your why. What is it that's going to get you out of bed every day? And once you understand that, and once you understand what you are driving towards and why you're driving towards it, your passion kind of comes along with that. Like I said, it's your why it gets you out of bed. So find that. The last thing is context. I mean, think about the world we're living in. And the world is changing so rapidly right now and things that were normal are not anymore. And so how do you take what you know, what you're good at? and your core purpose, and then apply it into the context of today's world. And then that's the steps you can take. And you do those things. And the next thing you know, you're reinventing yourself. I love it. You've covered off that one really well. The one that I love so much is about understanding like your core purpose and, and why you're doing certain things. And I think having that understanding every day, no matter how difficult the endeavors that you end up facing are, you'll realize what you're doing and why you're doing it. And it kind of makes it so much more, uh, so much more purposeful. So I, I love that. Let's start by looking at your journey into venture capital. So I know two stats that we've got most venture capital in Canada and the U.S. are controlled by teams with all male managing partners. And number two, the VC world has a massive gender gap. The Women in Venture report in 2019 found that women account for only 15% of partners at Canadian VC firms. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey into venture capital and how you were actually able to get the position you're in today and how you use that why to kind of keep you on track? I'm actually surprised that the number is that high, to be honest with you. I thought the number was quite a bit lower than that even. I mean, even 15% is abysmal. When I was trying to be a general partner and to start a fund, I think the general partners of women that are out there in Canada, like there's just a handful of us. There's very, very few. And it's really a shame. And, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one is because technology is very male dominated. And technology is where most of the venture capital money is in Canada. And so, you know, that's part of the reason why there's just all these challenges in general. I mean, maybe I can go back and tell you a little bit why I started the fund and what that meant in terms of having to break through as a female in the VC space. So when I started the fund, I did it because... I believe that no resource should leave our country without value add. We've got to add value to the commodities we have and to the, the things that we have here as raw ingredients before we ship them to other countries who then turn them into products so we can buy them back. And that made no sense to me. And we have all this expertise in agriculture and health. And so I kept thinking, wait a minute, why aren't we investing in ingredients and in businesses that are actually doing that last mile of, of making products out of the ingredients that we have and the raw goods that we have. And so I decided to start a fund in that space. And it was really challenging that, you know, people will look at me and say, Oh, yeah, well, you're a dragon, you went out and just raised money. It wasn't that simple at all. I had to go and spend a few years of knocking on doors and getting a lot of people saying no to me because a it wasn't a tech fund. And B, it was in a space that in Canada, nobody had 
had created a fund in. So I was basically trying to create two new paradigm shifts, which is A, let me start a fund. I'm a female. I'm going to start a fund and I hadn't done it before. And B, I'm going to do it in a space nobody's done it before. (laughs) And so it took a lot of convincing. But luckily, I found people who also believed in this opportunity for Canada to invest in new businesses and early stage businesses that were creating products and goods that we can consume and use and export into other countries. And so while it was a lot of hard work, I'm really thrilled that we have gotten where we have. But I also would say that when I started, and for those of you who are thinking about wanting to start a fund, or those of you who are thinking about what it means to be a general partner in a fund and and how you raise capital, people were telling me to marginalize myself. In other words, don't you dare dream big. I mean, this is Canada. It's really hard to raise capital here. So be happy if you raise 10 or $15 million. I mean, that's considered really good. You know, raise that then go and raise a little bit more later. And I just couldn't accept that because I saw this opportunity. And I can tell you when I started, I really wanted to raise a billion dollar platform. And I couldn't say those words out loud because nobody, nobody wanted to hear that. Everybody thought that was like, who do you think you are? That's crazy. Don't even think that big. That's insane, Arlene. And I got told over and over and over again that it was not possible. And it's interesting to me when I think back on it now, what I learned to do is say it was smaller, but dream inside is bigger. And so I would say to people, you know, I I really want to raise a $25 million fund. But in my head, I kept saying over and over, I am going to raise a billion dollar platform and I'm going to raise a hundred million dollars for this first fund. And I knew to get a billion dollar platform, I had to raise the $100 million. But I couldn't say that out loud because nobody wanted to hear it. Nobody believed it. It just wasn't something that was happening in Canada. It was a new space. You have to sometimes play to your audience. So if people wanted to hear $25 million, that's what I would say. (laughs) But I just kept going. That's incredible. And very much a championship mindset and being able to kind of go out there and adapt to what you need to do, but not hold back on the bigger aspiration or the bigger dream. I love it. It's fantastic. I'll never forget the last time you and I chatted. One of the things you mentioned that you just spoke to right now that investing isn't only in technology and there's a lot more out there than just tech companies. And I'm guilty of this. We're in a little bubble, Arlene, that we forget that the world has way more than just tech companies because we work in tech and that's been the hot topic for most of the movies and all that kind of stuff that's been coming out. But maybe I want to talk a bit about the non-tech side of startups that you're supporting and how they adapt in the technical world, right? And it's really surrounded by technology. How do you carve out a space for food and health? And how have you been able to marry your cohort of companies in your program for the growing tech world? So what advice can you actually give for entrepreneurs leveraging technology, not being in technology, but leveraging technology, even if their business is a non-tech play? I think technology underpins every single sector. I mean, technology is something that is always going to help and increase the viability of all sectors. So when I think about the food and health space and the consumer goods space I'm in, There's technology that we deploy in the companies we invest in that either helps their systems to be more efficient, that helps their HR recruiting to be more efficient, that helps their innovation to be more effective because they're able to put technology into their products so that there's better efficacy for the products. So I think a technology is something that is a constant thread across all sectors. And so it is easy, as you said, for us to focus just on the actual tech itself and not on the applications of the technology and what that actually does in other sectors. And so for the food and health space, whether it's manufacturing processes, whether it's trying to create new ingredients and trying to make them more, as I said, better efficacy, whether it's systems for the entrepreneurs so that their businesses can run more effectively, we deploy technology against all of those things. 
But our sector is not technology. Our sector's health and food companies. For the tech entrepreneurs that you would work with, I would say, think about the application more than think about just the technology. You have to think about the industries that this technology is going to serve. And you also have to think about the opportunities in those sectors too. I love it. Against all odds, and you made these things happen, and you got into a space that nobody else got into, and you're clearly making waves in it. So it's it's awesome to see. Maybe shifting a little bit back into the COVID talk, and you know, with COVID-induced difficulties, has a lot of attachment to the fundraising, which a lot of implications are being caused to the startup scene. A substantial number of founders are postponing their fundraising. So every founder and CEO is obviously a bit different, Arlene, and uh, they have their own style of management. What advice can you give to founders looking to raise funds and scale their businesses, especially during these times, the pandemic in play? It's very interesting to me. I've been reading a lot of studies about what's been happening in the VC and PE world through COVID. Some uh, VCs slowed down their investing, some ramped it up. Some PEs said, no, we're not going to invest. Although I'd say that the activity across both the venture and private equity world has actually stayed quite strong because a good idea is a good idea, no matter what. And so I would say to you, don't let the pandemic, because it is a moment in time, stop you from trying to raise capital. Raising capital takes time. Yeah. It takes effort. You know, it, it's going to take knocking on many doors. Starting now through a pandemic is not a bad thing because the first question we're asking companies when they come to district ventures is we're talking about their post-pandemic plans. So what are you doing next is actually just as important, if not more important probably, than what you're doing through the pandemic. And I would say that any investor is thinking about, is this an entrepreneur that can weather the storm, that can see a way to manage through it and then can actually pay Paint a picture for what's going to happen after the pandemic starts to end. Even if the pandemic and the challenges of the pandemic go on for a while longer, we are continuing to live, we are continuing to consume, we are continuing to need technology and need goods and services. And so does what you offer address those things? And if it does, then you have a market. And if you have a market, the question is, why is your product better than anyone else's? So I do not believe in moments in time stopping us. Because when we let a moment in time stop us, we actually, again, limit ourselves from the opportunity. So I would encourage everybody who's thinking about the pandemic, I'm not going to fundraise because I'm not going to get the value. I'm not going to fundraise because no one's going to talk to me. And I would say, no, you go knock on doors. You keep at it. You keep going until you find the right partner. It's going to take you a while to do. And by then, somebody will have gone laps around you because they kept going when you stopped. We're not here to hibernate. We're here to keep going. Amazing. And there's a reality around the pandemic scare with people that are fundraising saying that if I go out right now, I'm going to get super undervalued. And I've been working so hard, working my ass off for the past two years to make this happen. And we've seen great traction pre-COVID. And now all of a sudden, I've lost you know, 20, 30% of the value of my company. I guess the same response is just keep going until you find the right person. Well, listen, I understand. And I, I take the point that your company may be worth less, but the value of having a partner who's going to stay with you through the pandemic and through the hard times mm -hmm. and who's going to believe in you now can be very priceless later on. So there's a balancing act you have to play here. And frankly, I think technology companies have been overpriced for quite a while. And maybe this is one of the things that's going to bring that pricing down to reality. And you don't want to miss that boat either. If the whole market starts to shift down a bit and pricing starts to become a little more realistic than it has been when we were in the big bubble, yeah. then you want to be there with the partners who are willing to invest in the space. So I say just keep going. 
That's my advice. I bet from the hundreds of people on this call right now, I guarantee you the majority would want you as a, as a partner on site. So, you know, maybe yeah, next yeah. time we should do an edition of, of Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the last question I have before shifting into some of the pre-submitted questions, Arlene, we want to talk a bit about philanthropy. So Canada's costliest natural disaster was in 2013 super flood in Alberta, which washed away approximately one quarter of the province and to the heart of Calgary. There was as much as actually about $6 billion in financial losses, property damage across southern Alberta. I think you personally saw the flood damage your offices and really turned things upside down. Fast forward to 2020, you've raised over half a million dollars for the Calgary food banks. So can you tell us a bit about that experience and what it taught you as an entrepreneur in terms of you know, being resilient and how these learnings applied to your efforts in securing almost half a million dollars for the Calgary food banks? Well, there's, I think the common characteristics that entrepreneurs that are able to succeed is this tenacity and grit, tenacity being persistence. And those words, we hear it a lot. I would also say that something that isn't said as much is that you have to have an iron will. You have to have kind of like a Teflon will. You have to have the ability to let the negative things kind of slide off you and keep going because you are going to hit negative things. I mean, I couldn't have predicted the flood in Calgary. I mean, nobody could have. And it did almost destroy my marketing company's business, uh, Venture Communications. And it literally almost put us out of business. And I think it is that ability to get up as hard as it is. And sometimes Abdullah is really hard. Like every entrepreneur on this call will know that there's days that you get out of bed and you just want to pull the covers over your head because something's happened that you didn't see as blindsided you, your money didn't come through, your best person just quit, your top client just went to another supplier, or your marriage is falling apart. I mean, there's there's so many things that are happening to entrepreneurs always. And the flood, when it happened, I'd been in business for 30 years. I didn't understand that something like this could actually destroy a business. And I decided to reinvent the company and build it again because I had dozens of people working for me that relied on that business for their jobs. And I had clients that relied on us for the work. You know, we just dug deep and we rebuilt it. And I will say to those of you out there who think failure is bad and admitting that your company almost went out of business after 30 years is not an easy thing to say, but it is actually the best thing you can say. I think that turning a company around and dealing with really difficult times is the hallmark of an entrepreneur. That's where you test yourself. That's where you start to learn what you're really made out of. Because if you're just flying high and getting great big valuations and everything's going great, life is good, you're a unicorn. Man, I've seen a lot of unicorns who ended up being not even workhorses because they couldn't get past themselves. So be prepared to work hard and dig deep. And through all that, Calgary's been such a great city for me to build my business in. And in Calgary, it was never about that I was a woman. It was always about what could the business do to help other people. It was really a welcoming environment from that perspective. I will say that when the pandemic hit and when the energy sector went through what it went through, it was like the flood all over again. It was this, this horrible, unexpected circumstances of this perfect storm of the energy sector being decimated at the same time that the pandemic hit. I do believe the energy sector is a sector that's going through a transformation and has to go through a transformation into clean tech and all of the opportunities for the future. In the interim, there were hundreds of thousands of people who lost their jobs, and there was a reality to that. And there continues to be a reality to that. I talked to the food bank, and I found out that they were having like 400 calls a day from people who 
couldn't feed their families. If that doesn't stop you and make you go, that's not okay. This is Canada. Everybody should wake up with enough food to eat and a roof over their head. And we've got to do a better job across all sectors of our country to make sure that happens. But in the city, I decided to do a Twitter campaign. And in the first couple of days, we raised $200,000. And within nine days, we'd raised $512,000. In the food bank, the way it works is for every dollar you donate, they get $5 worth of food because they get their food at reduced prices. We were able to raise $2.5 million worth of food by just reaching out to people and saying, you know what, let's just protect each other. Let's help each other. Let's support each other in hard times um, because it's easy to do it in good times. I just have to say thank you to all the entrepreneurs that are out there that are on this call. I have seen time after time after time businesses that were on their last legs still giving food or supplies or services or opening their doors or, or doing whatever they can to help their neighbors or their friends or their communities or their business sector through the pandemic. And I'm so grateful for entrepreneurs that know how to give back and understand the value of that. So for those of you who've done that, that are on this call, I, uh, I really appreciate the thoughtfulness that has gone into supporting our communities. I've been hearing a lot of those similar stories, Arlene, as well. And I, and I think, again, it's, it's, it's leadership with purpose, and I love it. These kind of stories makes me kind of sit back a bit and just realize how fortunate we are as well living in Canada, not without the fact that there are some circumstances that we have to be able to address. And homelessness and hunger was a big part of it, and you don't want to turn a blind eye to it. So yeah. I think uh, the efforts that you did is obviously incredibly commendable and, uh, and hopefully resonates with more people to kind of think about beyond just what they're building, that there's a bigger community that, that they need to service and support throughout their journey as well. And so thank you for that. Well, I, I really appreciated the opportunity to talk to everybody. And, and I, I'm going to do a little bit of a shameless plug. Um, I did start a podcast recently called Reinvention. And um, the only reason I'm going to plug it, um, it's on iTunes and Spotify and, and, and all of the platforms. Please listen to it because the guests that I have on are Haley Wickenheiser and Katie Lang, Rex Hupke, who is a Chicago Tribune journalist. I've had some amazing people talk about their reinventions and people who have really figured out how to reinvent and under the toughest of circumstances. So I hope you get something out of that. And I hope people take, a, take the time to listen to it. Noted, and I will personally do take a listen to it as well. I love it. The reinvention. We will check that out again. Thank you so much, Arlene. Uh, best of luck with everything, and uh, we will hopefully see you very soon. Yeah, be well, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. And that's a wrap for this episode of the DMZ Movers and Shakers podcast. Make sure you subscribe and follow our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit us at dmz.ryerson.ca for more tips and tools designed to support your business. Until next time.